Our prayer for today is that hopefully in the next few minutes we'll be able to give you a little bit of a glimpse of what you're involved in outside of these walls and specifically what you're involved in on the other side of the world where we are privileged to represent you. Uh, we're, we're part of a, a denomination, we're part of a, a church that from the very, very beginning made the decision that we would not focus inward. Uh, we were serious about this incredible relationship with God. We were serious about this thing called Christianity, about this amazing God who loves us so much, not some abstract deity overlooking the embankment of heaven, but a God who has walked the paths of Galilee and Samaria and Judea, a God who has been where we are. And where we are, he meets us. He sees us where we are. And when we begin this amazing relationship with him, he's done everything to remove whatever is between us and him. He's done that at great cost. And when we begin to realize that in a personal way, it starts to change us radically. He begins to change our reality And when that starts really happening with us, we realize his Holy Spirit in us really does make a difference. And if that's serious, we can't be quiet about it. We have to be focused outward. We have to let others know we are Christian. We're serious about it. If we are serious about his Holy Spirit making a difference in holiness, we have to be missional. We have to let our family know. Somehow we have to communicate it to those that we're working with, those that are neighbors, those that are outward. You're a part of a group of people that are on fire for this relationship with God and are, are serious about letting a lost world, a hurting world out there know. So you're part of that and you're part of things happening in over 159 world areas around the world. Our job is to come today and give you a glimpse of what we know of of what that looks like out there. So hopefully next time somebody says, hey, hey, tell us about your church. Uh, you go to that Nazarene church over there. What do you guys do? I, I hope that you can you can get excited and you can say, hey, you know, we've, we've actually got a hospital deep in the interior of a place called Papua New Guinea. Don't even know where it is, but it's way out there on the other side of the world. Those people are, are wild. I mean, that's primitive, remote, way, way out there. We're Treating and serving and helping over 60,000 hurting people every single year in the name of Jesus. It's part of the ministries of what we are about right here. We've we've searched, we've looked around the world. Who do these ministries belong to? The mango tree ministry of the Nazarene Church in the kingdom of Tonga ministering to about 130 uh, hurting families Families where there's kids with disabilities transforming lives. We've tried to find out who does it belong to? Who does the Nazarene Hospital belong to? Who do the institutions of higher education, the teacher's college, the Bible college, the nurse's college, who who does it belong to? Folks, I want to tell you it belongs to you. Nobody else. It doesn't belong to anybody else. It's part of your ministries to a hurting world out there. It's an incredible thing to be a part of. The number of lives that are being affected and transformed and given hope every single day, only God knows. But we're excited to hopefully give you a little bit of a glimpse of that today as we are aware of it. Taken from the 43rd chapter of Isaiah, these words from the beginning of that chapter. But now this is what the Lord says. So this isn't what Harmon says or Cindy says or Marlon says or Bobby. or This is what the Lord, the Lord says. When he says something 
usually I, I, I want to pay attention. This is what the Lord says, in case you're wondering who that was. The one who created you, Jacob, and who formed you, Israel. Fear not. Fear not. That's, that's from the Lord. Fear not. Now, folks, as we travel all around the states and around the world, we find out that there is a lot of fear. In the media, you hear a lot of fear. If you turned it on this morning, you, you, there's reason, it seems, to fear. There's, there's things happening across our world and around our world today and across our nation that seem to instill a lot of fear. And the message from God Almighty is fear not. Fear not. And then he tells us why. He says, for I have redeemed you. Folks, our redemption, our hope, our salvation does not come from the governments of the world or the economic systems of the world or our social status or anything about this temporal world. Our hope comes from nothing less than God. Our hope comes from on high. His name is Jesus. He is where we find hope. He is where we find redemption, salvation. He says, I have redeemed you. Fear not. Fear not in the midst of a tumultuous, volatile world, in the midst of unpredictability, in the midst of turmoil and heartache. Fear not. For I have redeemed you and I have called you by name. You are mine. He knows us by name. He's not some abstract deity. He knows us by name. It is by his command that your heart is beating right now. He knows you when you were formed and when life was breathed into you. He knows you by name. He says, I know you by name. You are mine. He has purchased us at incredible We are adopted into his family. When we choose to have a relationship with him, we are drawn into his family and adopted into his family at the price of nothing less than the blood of his son, Jesus. He has called us by name and he says, you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through those waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And the flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Fear not. What an incredible hope that we have in Him. He is an amazing God who loves us. Folks, as we travel around the world and across the states and we speak with people, we, we're interested in the different cultures and the different ways in which languages seem to play themselves out, and uh, we're, we're confronted with lots of that. Just the country, the seven countries that we work in, just the one country of Papua New Guinea has about one one-thousandth of the world's population. So it has a, approximately seven million people in that one country out of 7,000 million in the world. Seven million, one one thousandth live in that country, and yet one in every ten known documented languages is in that one country. Over 800 documented languages in that one country alone. Cindy and I have not quite perfected all 800 of those languages yet. Keep praying for us. Keep praying for us. We need help. We need help to learn how to, how to, especially as we're getting older, it's harder and harder to learn these languages. And we find out that people, they greet each other in different ways in different cultures, even here in the United States. 
There's some interesting ways that people greet each other and all. But I've realized that I've never really gotten away from a deep effect from what I remember from my earliest memories, being born and raised in Africa. My parents were missionaries there, and uh, I, I grew up among the Sasutu tribe of southern Africa, and that was actually my first language that I spoke. I'm still trying to learn this English thing. That's a tough one. But um, uh, that first language, the first greetings that were ingrained in me were the greetings of the Susutu people. And their greeting goes like this. Saubona. Saubona. And it literally means, I see you. I see you. Not quickly, not flippantly, but my world has just stopped. I recognize the value of who you are as an individual, and I see you. And if it's going good between the two of us, you would then reciprocate. Saubona, back to me. You see me. You see me. And I've always liked that. I've been affected by that because as I have learned about this relationship with God, it, 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 it resonates with that. This God sees me. The God of all creation, Yahweh, the creator God of the universe. We can't even fathom his power and his strength and his might and his hugeness. And yet he sees me. And he sees you. And this morning he sees Gracie. As a matter of fact, he formed her. He knows her by name. That's this incredible God. This incredible God says to me, Saubona, I see you. I see you. And as we have traveled and as we, we are privileged to work on the other side of the world, this is the good news that we bring to hurting people. There is a God who sees you. In the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your victories and celebrations, in the midst of your storms, in the midst of whatever your life is, there is a God who sees you and he desires more than anything that you would see him. Saubona. Saubona. This is an amazing, amazing God. Cindy? vivid memory of one night many years ago. I was a brand new missionary and trying to figure out how to make this strange new place feel like home. We were on a remote South Pacific island leading a youth mission team and it was the rainy season so it was raining all the time. We had spent all day doing our laundry in the river but because it was raining we had to string lines up through the inside of the hut where we were staying, hang up our clothes and just hope that they would dry overnight before we needed to wear them again the next day. We were sharing that hut with a family of mice, and we could hear them running across the, the woven mat floor and through the bamboo walls, especially at night. Our six-year-old son was asleep on a mat next to mine over here, and I could hear the mice on the floor, and I was afraid that they might be crawling on him. But I was too afraid to check, so I just prayed that God would keep the mice off of him that night. It was night number seven, the temperature was in the 90s, the humidity was in the 90s, late, late into the night, and we were all laying there just trying desperately to get some sleep. Laying on the mat next to me on this side was Heather, 
Heather was a fourth grade school teacher from Kansas, and she had never been in a situation quite like this before. She took her sheet and wrapped it completely around her head in order to get away from the mosquitoes that were there. And I could hear her as she tried to talk to me through the middle of the night. I could hear her whispered voice. She said, Cindy, how did you ever get used to this? And I thought, oh, my word, she thinks I'm used to this. The world I was used to was so far away that sometimes I wondered if it existed only in my imagination. I was used to the crisp, pine-scented mountain air of southern New Mexico. And I was used to snow in the winter and wildflowers in the spring. I was used to tacos and roasted green chili, and I'm so not used to this. And I wondered if I ever would be. I wondered, will this ever feel like home? I really don't know what all I said to Heather that night, but I know that God came and he had some things to say to me. He said, Cindy, is this really going to be all about you and what you're comfortable with and how used to this you ever get? Or will you let me take you to a new place? And like new wine being poured into new wine skin, his spirit began to be poured into mine. And with it came a promise that there was going to be some stretching and changing going on. Over these last many years, he's kept that promise. But he's been with me through every day of this journey as we've traveled in and through the seven island nations that make up our field. He's been there through every language and cultural unknown. He's been there through every change, every embarrassment, and every celebrated victory. And somewhere along the way, the stretching turned into growing. And the fear of the unknown and the discomfort of the unfamiliar began to fade. And in its place, the excitement of joining him and his redemptive plan for the world took over. A few years ago, Harmon and I accepted a new assignment, which put him in leadership of strategic development over the seven island nations of the South Pacific and Melanesia field. And I was given the privilege and responsibility of care and development for our mission team. God began to stir in me a compassion for them, for the sacred burdens they carry and what they need to be healthy and effective in their calling and the thousands of workers like them around the world. And God invited me to follow him into a ministry of grace and growth for the building of the body of Christ, demonstrating his love as we strengthen one another in the name of Jesus. This assignment is changing me. I'm learning to see myself more clearly and experience God's grace and reconciliation more deeply than ever before. And I believe I'm learning what it means to take time to really see the people around me, to see their needs and to value who they are. And I know these changes will continue. There will be more stretching. And I'm realizing that the discomfort is not over. This ministry of compassion isn't always comfortable. Sometimes it's really hard. Because getting close enough to help someone sometimes means leaving those places of comfort. Sometimes it means going back to places you thought would feel like home and finding that they don't anymore. And getting close enough to help someone means we risk getting close enough to feel their pain. But isn't that what Emmanuel does? He comes near to us, near enough to touch our hurting places. And in sharing our pain, he brings healing, and we are known by him. I believe there's a part of God I'll never know unless I keep following him out of what I feel comfortable with, out of home the way I thought it would be, and into a new place that he has prepared for me. And when I do, I find that he's bigger in those places than I ever knew him to be before. 
Jesus says that if we love him, we will obey him. And then he says that when we do this, he will come and make his home in us. Could it be that this life is not about us and finding a place to call home? But are we becoming a place that he can call home? Folks, this God is about calling us out of our comfort zones. I think that our natural tendency always is to find places where we are comfortable. It is to find margins. It is to create those margins and try to find security in the things of this world. God knows those things are temporal. No matter what they look like, they are temporal. There is no home here on earth that will last for eternity. It it will eventually pass into oblivion. God calls us outside of our comfort zones, and he meets us there. And he begins to give us a hope and a foundation and a security that is eternal, that will last when this world is no more. God calls us away from protecting ourselves and instead learning to rely on him and finding our security in him. Got between 45 and 50 Nazarene missionaries serving on our field, and they are my heroes. Out of that, we've got nine full time Nazarene missionary doctors serving at the hospital in Papua New Guinea. When we're there and when I have time and can work it into my schedule, I like to go spend days with them in the hospital and, and watch them as they work with the patients. It gives me a better idea of what they're dealing with and how to pray for them and how to serve them. Recently, one of them shared a story with us. She told about what ha- something that had happened to her when she first came to the field about six years ago. There was a five-year-old boy that had come into the hospital right after Dr. Aaron had gotten to Kujip. His name was Ismail, and it didn't take Dr. Aaron very long to figure out that he had leukemia. Aaron was ambitious and optimistic, and she set out to find just the right medicines, the chemo that it would take to put Ismail's leukemia into remission, and maybe even heal him. She tried every approach available, and the chemo was working. She was hopeful and determined and refusing to give up until one day Ismail came in to see her, and she knew that the medicine had stopped working, and she didn't have anything else to try. Ismail was admitted to the hospital just before Christmas, his second Christmas since discovering his leukemia, and Aaron knew as we sang Christmas carols and handed out gifts in the hospital that year that this would probably be his last Christmas. And she began to pray just for one more day, one more day for Ismail, one more day for him to experience God's love. But Ismail was losing his fight against leukemia, and it was hard to watch him fight for every one more day. Aaron was ripped apart the morning she had to walk to the hospital to have this talk with Ismail's mom. She wasn't ready to stop fighting and to let him go. Ismail was one of the first leukemia patients that Aaron had treated, and when his cancer spread and there was no more medicine to offer him, her hopes were dashed, and her eyes were opened to the realities of cancer care in Papua New Guinea, the limitations of working in a bush hospital far away from the modern technology and medicine he had been familiar with in the United States. She says that she determined to put a guard around her heart at that point to protect herself against the pain of future cancer patients and the human tragedy that she encounters every day. Because sometimes this saubona, this seeing each other, 
is deeply painful. And we have to decide if we're really willing to do it. Dr. Dudley Powers passed away March 22nd, month before last. He was 87 years old. A lifetime earlier in 1965, the Church of the Nazarene appointed Dr. Powers to serve as a medical missionary. He became the founding administrator of Kujip Nazarene Hospital deep in the highlands of Papua New Guinea, which was a world away from Oklahoma that he was familiar with. And God began to ask him to open his eyes in that foreign world and to begin to see those hurting people. Officially established by the Church of the Nazarene in 1967, Kujip Nazarene Hospital, located in Jawaka Province, deep in the interior of Papua New Guinea, is a 130-bed hospital offering inpatient and outpatient services to tens of thousands of people a year, many of whom would otherwise have no medical help. Folks, Papua New Guinea ranks 156 out of 187 on the United Nations Human Development Index. That makes it one of the least developed nations on the face of this globe. This country is considered to have one of the highest rates of gender violence and rape in the world. Women in Papua New Guinea are 72 times more likely to die prematurely than if they lived in the United States. In Papua New Guinea, there is five doctors for every 100,000 people. Now, if you take the Earth's average, all the countries of the world, your average around the world, averaging them all out, is 139 doctors for every 100,000 people. In the United States, we're privileged to have 242 doctors for every 100,000 people. Folks, 242 is more than five. Annual government spending for medicines averages six U.S. dollars per person per year. Supplies of medicine in Papua New Guinea are constantly running out. Over 80% of the population of this country, and this country is just an example of the seven countries that we live and work in, uh, but it's a good example that typifies it. And in the country of Papua New Guinea, over 80% of the population are subsistence farmers. They live in very rural and sometimes incredibly remote areas where basic services, and here's what we refer to as basic services, roads of any kind, meaning any way to get any vehicle in there. And to give you an idea of that, Jimmy Valley, our Bromley district, about 22 uh, miles from our mission station as the crow flies. Now, the problem is, folks, we're not crows. So to get that 22 miles averages me between five and a half hours and 11 hours, one way, 22 miles. So roads can look different for you. But basic services are roads of any kind at all, schools or education systems of any kind, communication of any kind, law enforcement of any kind, and medical services of any kind in these rural areas are either very, very unreliable or completely non-existent. That's why the Church of the Nazarene went there almost 50 years ago. God refuses to allow us to be blind to a hurting world, to a hurting culture around us, to hurting people out there. Part of being transformed and changed and affected in this relationship with God is that we care about hurting people outside the walls of our church. Last year at Kujip Nazarene Hospital, you ministered to 59,223 outpatients, many walking in for days through tropical jungles to reach the care that you offered in the name of Jesus. 
6,024 of them were admitted into our four hospital wards. 1,615 babies were successfully delivered. 266 C-sections were performed. 477 major surgeries and 722 minor surgical procedures were carried out. On top of that, your Nazarene primary health care takes care of around 300 tuberculosis patients every year and on average between 80 and 100 HIV patients. You provide 10,000 immunizations with our clinics to serve another 1,500 priceless hurting people every year. Every year, hundreds and into the thousands of people give their lives to Christ and enter into a personal relationship with a God who cares about them. This happens in your hospital and in your clinics out there deep in the bush of Papua New Guinea and in our other countries out there. So a vital, intrinsic part of the ministries reaching out to help hurting people where they are is also introducing them whenever possible to this amazing God who cares about them right where they are. Planting churches is a vital part of every single one of these ministries that work in partnership with your 12 organized districts in that one country alone. It's a vital part of the fact that this God cares not only about the the, the way people are hurting in the immediate, but he cares about their eternal issues as well. He wants to know them forever. He wants to give them a hope that's not temporary, a hope that is permanent. The other day, a little Papua New Guinean girl walked into the examination room. Her arm was in a sling. The doctor there could tell that she was in a lot of pain, and she knelt down close to try to find out what had happened. The little girl had fallen, and so as the doctor tried to prepare the orders for her to get an x-ray, she took her patient documents and started to write the name. When she saw the little girl's name, she just caught her breath. She looked up past the little girl and into the mother's face, and the mother nodded and smiled. Yes, Dr. Aaron, she is your namesake. Suddenly, Dr. Aaron realizes that she knows this woman from a long, long time ago. She knows this woman. This is the mother of Ismail. This is the mother of Ismail. Years and years ago, the little boy who had leukemia, the little boy that he, she had tried and tried and tried to save, and she couldn't save his life. Eventually, the little boy had died, and she had watched this mother bury her little boy. This doctor had felt like a failure. This Nazarene doctor had felt like if only she could have had more time, if only she could have had more resources, she'd felt like a failure. But this mother had not seen this missionary doctor as a failure. As a matter of fact, this mother had been so deeply, deeply affected by the love of God flowing through this missionary doctor that in the midst of her personal tragedies here, she had begun to be changed forever. She had begun a relationship with the living God of the universe that began to give her an eternal hope. And in the years to come, when God blessed her and her husband with another child, she decided to use the name of this missionary doctor, this missionary doctor who had discovered that in actual fact, there is more to this than the passing medical conditions of people. It's been five years since Ismail had died, and Aaron has cared for countless more cancer patients since him. Some of them lived, and some of them died. Years where she has learned that there's no way she can keep a guard around her heart. And years where she's chosen to let that guard down and let those patients get inside and see her and be seen by her. 
This Nazarene doctor had made a deep, deep difference in this woman and this family's life. And that's what she does, and that's what the other nine of them do day after day after day. And what they realize is that they cannot callous themselves at all to a hurting world. Folks, we can't. As God is making a difference in our lives, he calls us to enter into the lives of other people and walk with them in that journey, whatever journey they are also on out there. This is what we search for when we interview potential missionaries for the Church of the Nazarene and as we work around the world out there. We look for people who are passionate about Jesus who have this kind of a relationship with the living God through Jesus that actually changes who they are. So we hope also they can be good doctors if we're going to put them into doctoral service out there. And we have the best tropical disease doctors out there. But the prerequisite is that you really are passionate about Jesus because that's why he has us out there. That's what he is to each one of us that know him more and more and more. He begins to become central to our existence, to our understanding of who we are, as we realize this God sees us, Saubona. And we begin to not only see him, we begin to see a hurting world. We begin to not only fall in love with him, with every fiber of who we are, our heart, our soul, all of our might, all of our strength, but we begin to love a hurting world as well. And God begins to flow through us into that hurting world and bring the same hope that he's brought to us, to them out there as well. Folks, you need to know you're making an incredible difference out there. One of the things that we realize is that as we, as we are seen by this God and as we begin to see this God more and more and we're involved in his kingdom work, that there are some people that feel isolated. There are some people that feel all alone, sometimes right around us. Folks, God did not intend for any human being to do this journey alone. Not one of us. We are not made to do this journey alone. We need to see each other. And I, we have a new regional director. Marlon would know what that means uh, over all of Asia Pacific, for our part of the world, we got, got a new one uh, uh, two, three years ago, uh, an incredible man of God out of South Africa, Dr. Mark Lowe. And one of the things that he began to really encourage us is he, says, he said to us, field strategy coordinators over, over countries and areas, he says, make sure that, that we connect with people. Make sure everybody involved in God's kingdom work knows that they are seen and make sure we actually see them. And that they see us. Because, folks, we, if we understand Scripture correctly, one of us who's on fire for the kingdom of God can put a, a, a thousand of the enemy to flight. But two of us can put ten thousand of the enemy to flight. Folks, if there's three of us, if there's four of us, the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God as it marches forward. And not one of us was ever made to be doing it alone. And so Mark was challenging us, do whatever it takes. He said one day to me, he says, Harmon, some of some of the, the leaders are in remote, remote areas out there. How are you connecting with them? And I said, well, uh, brother, I said, traditionally, there is many of our district centers that the only way that we could connect is through HF, SSB radio. That's, that's how we've ever connected with those places. It's difficult. 
It's a challenge. I mean, you, you schedule these things and it's very, very tough. I said, but things are changing fast. Folks, I, I don't know if things are changing fast for you here in Virginia Beach, but things are really changing fast for us out there. Um, faster than we can almost keep up with it. Towers starting to go up on distant mountains and places literally where there's no roads, there's never been electricity, no plumbing, no sewage system, no infrastructure at all, but they've got, they've got phones. They've got cell phones with internet, with internet in the cell phones, way, way, way out there. So Mark started encouraging us and we got, we got some money. We got, somebody raised some money and I got in um, tablets where you put a SIM card into the tablets. And I got all of our district leaders in. Picture, picture this. Underneath a huge thorn tree, a great big wooden table with benches around it. And here I've got all these district leaders from 12 different districts. Now, folks, we have a wide range of traditional education for these. As far as classroom education, some of them are, are very educated. Most of them are maybe what would be the equivalent for you of grade three or grade four. Now, these are powerful heroes of the faith, but as far as your, your, your traditional education, no, we're, 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 they're lucky to get that out there. They teach me more about a journey of faith than I could ever teach them, most of them. So uh, picture, picture us with these little tablets, you know, you know, you know, these tablets, and, and we're showing them, we, we're showing them, you put these little dealy-majiggers called sims into here, and then they connect with towers. Okay, we, we lost them. So I, I said, okay, let's, listen, we made email accounts for all of you guys. What's email? I, I, I don't know. It hooks up to the internet. What's internet? I, I, I don't know, but, but, but listen, okay, go through these steps, and we've got them sitting next to each other, and we're going to show you how you can send a message from you here to your, your, your brother next to you here. And, and so they'd say, well, why don't I just turn to him and talk to him? And I said, no, no, no. The idea is when you go back out there into those remote locations, you'll still be able to do it. No. Yes. Yes, you will. So follow these steps. And so they follow the steps and they punch in these little buttons and do this and everything. And boom, it comes to the next guy. The guy's go, hey, hey, I got it. I got it. Amazing. How did that work? I don't know. I don't know how it worked, but trust me, it works. So the next guy, okay, you do this, you do this. And we're going to, it comes to the next guy. Whoa, look at that. No wires, no nothing. How, how, Brother Harmon, how does that, where does it go? Where does it go? I don't know. It goes out there and it comes back. It's amazing. As a matter of fact, it could go around the world in that period of time. Now push this one and it'll go to everybody at the same time. No. Yes. Yes. No. Yes. And so we're training them on how to do this. This is this is this last year. So a few months into this, they're getting into it because they're they're realizing way out in the bush, they're not alone. They're not alone. And so they're sending these urgent, urgent prayer requests. Every other time they thought they were alone. No, you're not alone. You're not alone. Sometimes we feel alone, but you're not alone. So they're sending these urgent, urgent prayer requests out. And I get one of them from one of, one of our district leaders one day. He's made it. He's ridden with two of his church planting guys. He's ridden on a PMV, public motor vehicle. Folks, don't, don't ride on those things. Do not ride on those things. They will stretch your prayer life and your faith. They have one speed, flat out. And those roads are not made to go flat out. So he's ridden on this PMV to the end, end, end of the road. 
And then they've been walking about one and a half days to a church plant, way, way out there, a church plant. And they're almost to where this church plant is, one and a half days past the end of the road, and they, they stumble into a clearing, probably about as big as a sanctuary, and there's a cr- big crowd of people. This is way in the middle of Papua New Guinea. And the clearing, is, something is going on, and we tie it to something called Sangoma. When I grew up in Africa, on the other side of the world, the word Sangoma was one of the words that I learned out there. It means the same thing on the side of the world that God's got me working on. It is witchcraft. It's, it's evil. It's witchcraft. And two individuals have been accused of witchcraft. And it, when he comes into the opening here, they've got a huge pile of wood. The two individuals are tied on this pile of wood. They're getting ready to be burned alive. Now, later, in talking to all of our church leaders... Every one of them, without exception, said they have no recollection of ever hearing, ever, that when it got to this stage, it was not followed through with, ever. Now, unfortunately, this happens out there not uncommonly. So this this email that 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 we got from this guy, he says he says urgent prayer request, urgent. Now he doesn't he hasn't figured out you 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 don't have to write the whole thing in the subject line, and he's got it all in capitals and it's all in the subject line. You know you can write a whole letter in the subject line doesn't matter. I mean, if it's important, it doesn't matter. Just go ahead and write it, wherever you want to write it. So he writes in there, urgent, urgent, and this is what we've stumbled on here. And even though it's never, ever stopped at the stage, we're praying. And I'm asking you guys out there, whoever you are, wherever you are, we have 37 of our leaders tied together now with this email. Wherever you are, pray, stop what you're doing and pray that God would, 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 would hand these two precious people over to me, please. And he's got a picture. Do you know you can take pictures of these things? No kidding. So he's taking a picture. Click. And there it is. There's the picture of it. Just real time. So everybody stops what they're doing. Everybody drops to their knees. Within a few minutes, the email threads start coming in. Brother, we're praying for you. We're praying for you. We're, uh, and never mind what has ever happened for all of history. We believe in a God who came to set the captives free. We believe in a God who has no limit to his power. Whatever it is that's ever happened, it means nothing. This God is all-powerful. We are claiming in the name of Jesus, he will hand those two precious souls over to you from Fiji. Thousands of miles to the east, they're having a preacher's convention. And we get an email, the next email down, it's from the district superintendent in Fiji. He says, I'm typing this thing from the altar. Do you know, folks, you can type emails from the altar? You can if you're typing this kind of an email. We're typing from the altar. we got 67 Nazarene pastors. We've stopped everything. We are kneeling around the altar, and we are praying that God will supernaturally come in, and he will do the humanly impossible, and he will set those people free into your hands today. Nothing for about three hours. Then suddenly, again, in the subject line, all in the subject line, praise be to God, guess what, guess what, they were handed over to us, you wouldn't believe it, they were handed over to us, I got these two people that have been handed over to us, they're alive, and and now, urgent, dot, 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 space, space, urgent second prayer request, what are we going to do now, what are we going to do now, folks, you need to know something, the kingdom of God can be messy, 
It can be messy. Who cares? This is a messy world. As God is pushing his kingdom forward, we engage the mess of this world with a God who knows the answers. And he takes us through to something that has eternal purpose and eternal meaning. It's a love of an amazing God that really, really does make a difference out there. Folks, I don't know where you're at this morning, but God knows. He knows. And he's not shy. He's not scared of it. It doesn't bother him. He has felt the pain of this world. He has walked the paths of this world. And he meets us right where we are. If we let him, he sees us. He sees us right where we are. And if you need to know that this morning, God's message to you in the midst of wherever you are is fear not. For I am your Redeemer, and I have called you by name. He knows you personally, and in the midst of no hope, he brings hope. In the midst of darkness, he brings light. In the midst of a world that is temporary and temporal and is passing away, he brings eternal life that will last when this world is no more. There's no greater thing to be involved in, and you are part of taking this message all the way out there to a hurting world around this world. What an incredible privilege that that is that God has given to all of us. We represent your investment, representing what you are doing out there. It's our privilege to do that. Don't ever feel sorry for your missionaries. Marlon would tell me this. Don't ever, don't ever feel sorry for your missionaries. We're the most privileged people in the whole world God's given us the privilege of actually responding where he is leading us for whichever chapters of our lives. And you've helped partner in that. Thank you for allowing us to represent what God is doing way, way out there. Our prayer is that one day all of us will be able to stand and sing a new song. Saying, worthy art thou to take the book and to break the seals. For thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood. Men from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every people. And there was never any greater privilege than being a part of it all. God bless you folks. Thank you. Did he look at you this morning, not him, but God, and say, I see you? Um, Keith, do you have those cards with you? Can, you? can you go back here, Peyton, grab these cards with him? If you would like to have one of their prayer cards, put it on your refrigerator, on your dashboard, wherever it is that you're going to see it. Look at him and say, I see you. I pray for you. I see you, Cindy. I pray for you. Because this is how we can partner with them in ministry. There is a second piece that we can do to partner with them in ministry. And uh, Mike, you want to help me out? Go back there and grab an offering plate. And uh, Ted, you're going to grab the other one? We're going to take a good offering. I trust you brought your checkbooks or your billfold. Or if you want to, you can get on Easy Tithe. And there's a place for a love offering that's there. And you can type that in and we'll make sure that it goes for the missionary this morning. Um, all very simple to do, um, just just a matter of time. How many of you enjoyed this this morning? Can I see your hands? Yeah, that's what I thought. Let's give them a hand. 
and thank the Lord for their presence. All right. Well, to go ahead and start with the offering, we're going to have a word of prayer in just a minute to close it down. If you have, if you want a prayer card, please just lift your hand if you did not get one. They would love for you to pray with them, for them, support them in their ministry. They're good people. Let me tell you something. I, I'm with Harmon. Don't ever feel sorry for your missionaries. But I do want you to understand it is not a job for the faint-hearted. It's a, it does not end. There is no, okay, we're working from 9 o'clock this morning until 5 this afternoon and being done. Matter of fact, do you have any idea how many days or how many nights you've spent in your own home this past year? None. Okay. And that was very much the way I was. I, when I was doing his job, the field strategy coordinator, I was gone 265 days a year from my home. So that's, you think you have a traveling schedule. And I know some of you do, Eric. You travel a lot. But 265 days means that, I mean, there were some days you come in you bring the suitcases that you have and your wife, if she's not going with you, has your other ones packed, right? And you set them down, you grab a drink, you grab whatever she's got prepared for you to eat and say, thank you, dear. I'll see you next week. And off you go. So it's, it's not a job for the faint hearted. So they definitely need the prayers of the saints supporting them, giving them strength, giving them the courage to go out into that field and teach these new technologies and lift up these young men and women who are taking the gospel into the furthest reaches. Missionaries don't do it by themselves. They're just part of a bigger team. And we love it when the team supports us and gives us, and you are a part of the team that they're on. You're a Nazarene and you're a part of that team. Isn't it great to have this representation from our church in this world? 